Welcome to Pebble in the Pond, a podcast that hopes to create a ripple of change for mental health. My name is Sam Stewart and I'm the CEO of the Australian and New Zealand Mental Health Association. Each year I have the pleasure of attending events to meet and connect with the most fascinating and accomplished people in mental health. Listen in as I go one-on-one with the people changing the face of mental health in Australia and New Zealand, from lived experience speakers through to researchers, academics and influential industry leaders. Our Pebble in the Pond podcast episodes may contain themes or topics of discussion that may be triggering to some listeners. If you feel you need assistance with your mental health at any time, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit the Get Help page for additional resources at anzmh.asn.au. Interested in advancing your personal and professional development in mental health? Check out our latest webinar series in which we explore a range of topics designed to improve mental health, well-being and client care. Find out more, go to www.anzmh.asn.au or give us a call on 07 Hello listeners and welcome to another episode of our podcast. Today it gives me great pleasure to introduce a conversation I had towards the end of 2019 with a lady by the name of Debbie McCarthy. Women who have experienced domestic and family violence use health services more frequently than women who have not. By combining early identification and intervention within our health system, one woman has a concept that can revolutionise our approach to support. As a former nurse and current social worker, Debbie McCarthy has been exposed to a number of situations pertaining to domestic and family violence. Employed as a counsellor for Human Services Task Force in tissue retention, she has worked in various inpatient wards and also as a social work team coordinator in the Flinders Medical Centre Emergency Department since 2004. In 2015, she was awarded the Excellence in Allied Health Award in the Southern Adelaide Local Health Network for her work in domestic violence. In order to assist individuals impacted by domestic and family violence, Debbie established a training program and resources for staff in ED and postgraduate nursing programs surrounding screening for DV. By training workers to see the signs and inform patients of support and care, this method for early uh, intervention can contribute to the systemic change needed to combat domestic and family violence. Tune in to hear Debbie discuss her experiences and how her program is being implemented to better support thousands of Australians at risk. Hello, welcome listeners, and uh, it gives me great pleasure today to introduce you to Debbie McCarthy. Debbie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on the show and looking forward to having a chat to you about the amazing things that you've been doing uh, as it relates to uh, family violence and, and identifying this um, with relation to the ED department. Um, so looking forward to getting to that. But h- how about you just tell us a little bit of a background about yourself? Oh, gosh. gosh. I have a, a quite an extensive background. Um, I basically have been a social worker for nearly 20 years. Prior to that, I was a nurse working in brain injury units. Uh, and prior to that, I was a horse trainer. So um, I've oh. changed careers three times. <laughs> It's perfectly clear to see the link on how that all came about. <laughs> so, so you're a horse trainer? Yes, in New South Wales. For, for, for race horses? No, I bred, um, they were just standard breed 
Okay. Had a horse stud in New South Wales. I'm a country girl originally. Whereabouts from New South Wales? Taree. Taree, beautiful spot. So, uh, and I ended up marrying a South Australian and moving to South Australia. So, yeah. uh, so I've been there over thirty years. Wow. And so, when you went into nursing, what made you want to get f- go from horse training breeding into nursing? I think you know it, it all sort of correlates to me is that um, you know we need to treat people with compassion. And it's no different than with animals. Animals actually give you so much back. And I like to give back to people. So nursing to me was the next step, uh, progression of, you know, helping people in really difficult situations, bad health. Um, It's a difficult journey for people um, and disability. Yes. And and so something's clearly passionate uh, and close to your heart, wanting to care for people and, and having empathy and... That nurturing side of you is uh, is definitely I can see that. <laughs> uh, so so then tell me how you've gone from from nursing into social work. I think it was sort of just a natural progression for me. Um, basically, I was getting older because uh, I did my degree in my thirties, um, and I was doing nursing. I was doing heavy nursing, and I had a passion for supporting people, listening to people's stories, and helping them work through it. Yes. And how did you find social work? Did you really enjoy that? Obviously, you spent a fair bit of time. I love doing what I do. Uh, If I can actually touch someone's heart and make a difference and change someone's journey by just actually talking to them and focusing on their strengths, I've achieved everything. Um, You know, in my job in the emergency department... Um, I do trauma-informed care and I do around the sudden deaths. I can't change that journey, but if I can make it a little bit easier and they know that they're supported, it can make it so much easier easier for them in their recovery. Yeah. So, so tell us how, uh, I know with, the, um, with what you've been doing in the emergency department and the results you've been getting, but if you just... Uh, tell me an ex- example of, of something that... So you, someone coming to the emergency department whether it's through ambulance, obviously, from yep. a domestic violence incident, women, children. Uh, and so and tell me then how, how it works with what you do. So basically we implemented a screening tool uh, in 2006. Uh, basically the nurses and doctors all trained in how to use that screening tool. Um, so the physical assaults are quite easy to identify. It's really the people coming in with other issues that the screening tool is so valuable for because they'll come in with suicide attempts, increased mental health issues, drug and alcohol. Um, so staff screen um, and then they offer, because we're a voluntary service, uh, for, us to, uh, for them to talk to us. And we do the police risk assessment. So we actually talk about the risk in the domestic violence we help them link with um, lots of different services emergency accommodation uh, victim support services housing Um, what our goal is is to try and enhance their safety to ensure they're safe on discharge so we have a lot of strategies to actually separate Um, when they screen they can't actually they have to be alone so there are exclusion criterias Um, so if someone's acutely unwell or psychotic 
or are not alone, they're straight away excluded. But we have lots of strategies to keep the person out while we ask those questions. Yes, and and so these things are getting picked up because it's all about trying to identify this That's right. uh, at an earlier stage is that before it escalates yes it's about early intervention before it escalates to where it costs someone's life or serious injury so 2006 you this was introduced yes and tell us in the last 13 years how have you seen the effectiveness of this um we've had so many positive uh, outcomes um basically we have a lot of women that actually are going into shelters uh reporting making police reports um, those who aren't high risk, uh, we actually work with police. So um, partly is that intervention orders are put in place so that the perpetrator can't harm the woman. Um, we focus on their strengths. It's not about us taking control. They, are, they have amazing strengths and they're the experts. We want to work alongside. If we work alongside, we're going to have a much better outcome and that's... Um, about compassion and understanding about what's going on in their lives and listening. Um, we forget to listen to people's stories. Yeah. And so what are the, some of the biggest challenges that, that you've had to overcome when rolling such a program out? I mean, it, do people struggle to want to be open and honest and tell you the true stories? Is it the fear of uh, what might happen to them if they do disclose stuff? Sometimes, but I think... The majority want to be asked. They want someone to ask them. And I remember uh, quite a few years ago I saw a video that was really powerful from the um, Family Safety Framework and there was a lady on there who had anorexia and the only thing she felt she had control of was what she did or didn't eat. And she said, how long, how, you know, um, how long will it be before someone really asks me what's going on? So she wanted to be asked about domestic violence. When we actually did, a, um, we did an evaluation of this with um, people who had been screened, both in current DV and not, um, the majority were more than happy to be asked the questions. Wow. So, so you're saying more often than not they just want to be able to tell somebody yes. in a safe space. Yes. And that's what you provided for them. Yes. And I guess what you've got to understand is... Emergency departments are a 24-hour service. It might be the only place they can go by themselves. So if you have a really controlling partner who won't let you go anywhere by yourself in the majority of times, like to the bank or down to get groceries or whatever, as I said, we have strategies of separation as well, so we can use that in our emergency department. Do you have any uh, statistics or any of the... The findings with the increased rate of referrals and stuff like that? I Basically, this year so far, we've had 139 direct referrals for domestic violence from um, nurses and doctors. Um, we, do a, we have a unique model, not only seeing them in the ED, so we also have uh, where people won't stay in the hospital for whatever reason. If they want us to follow up, they get a secure number from the woman and we will then ring them. But without a secure number, we can't ring them. So we do follow up if we can. Yes. Okay, and you found that's been very effective? Look, I've found the dedication of my team, uh, the ED team, is phenomenal. 
they're very passionate and they're very driven in making sure that these women aren't in those situations. Um, and some of our best referrers are the doctors and the nurses, both male and female. So, uh, you know, I can't talk highly enough for my team. Yeah. We have 247 presentations a day. They're extremely busy, but they still pick up the DV very easy because they're well trained. Yes. How important is that part of it to be able to include them in that training and, and give them that opportunity to... It's it's really important. So they have an understanding of how multi-layered it is and how complex it is. It's not a straightforward situation. Um and understanding that it's difficult to break that cycle. Yeah. If we look at the... Uh, you mentioned here that staff agree that the emergency department is an appropriate place to ask about domestic violence and family violence under certain conditions. What, what, what are some conditions or examples of that where it's inappropriate? Are there examples where it's, it's not... We've actually excluded because you can't engage in problem solving if someone's really unwell. If yeah. they're psychotic, you can't actually get them to engage in problem solving. I get it. Okay? okay. If they're not alone, you're putting them at risk. Yeah. Okay, that's critical, huh? Hey? Yeah, it's very critical. And, and if you look at, uh, I mean, for 13 years this has been around. Yeah. Are you seeing that you're continually tweaking and improving the processes and training as you go? We're progressing. Let me explain. We're progressing. We now have um, posters in our emergency department saying uh, violence shatters lives um, and it encourages people to speak out that it's a safe place to talk to staff. So what we're trying to do is give the message that for the it's okay for them to talk to us as well and them to initiate the conversation. Um, we had one lady who saw the poster and said... That's me and I need to talk. So, you know, we're yeah. adapting new strategies. Yeah, well, that's so just having a tool like that that's up there that's very subtle yes. but, uh, but able to be visible and, and then they, they can take action from that. That's right. I mean, we have all these campaigns about violence in the emergency departments um, against staff and that's great. We've just taken the next step and say, Violence shatters lives. This is a safe place to speak to staff, and it's being effective. Yeah. yeah. What? What's? It, do you receive any pushback? Do you see people that uh, say start saying they want to talk about it, but then all of a sudden they're reluctant to because of the what might happen to them, or are you finding that's not really uh, an issue <sighs> Look, in, in the space you provided? I think what we try and do is encourage. We can't force people to talk to us. Yeah. Um. Sometimes you will have people that will actually tell you but won't lead the situation. Um, it's like planting a seed. Um, it takes a lot of practice to get out of a domestic violence situation. So telling them it's not their fault and they're not alone is a really powerful message in giving them resources so that if they change their mind, they know where to contact. So we have a safety card we've designed specifically for the ED. Um, so we try and engage high risk, we override that. So if someone's at high risk of being um, killed by their partners or the partner's hovering at severe assault, we will override that and get police to come in. 
Um, you know, people get very confused about confidentiality. Um, you know, risk outweighs confidentiality. Yeah. So we, but we always inform the patient what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah, that's important, isn't it? That consultation, yes. so they feel that trust. Yes. Um, that's really interesting, and because it's which which hospital is this? Adelaide. This is uh, Flinders Medical Center. Okay. Um, in Adelaide in the southern region. It's called the Southern Adelaide Health Network. Um, the tool's been picked up by all the other major hospitals as well. Um, but we have a, a very um, dedicated um, director named Andrew Blythe who actually supports this. Um, he's even signed off that if we've got a high-risk woman, they'll keep them in overnight even if it's not medical. And that's a real move forward for yeah. health. Has that had uh, has that happened so yet? Yes, it has happened. So oh. often they'll keep them in overnight for me to see in the morning. We're an eight to four service. Yeah. So this is about a team approach. We have a mental health team in there as well, and we all work together to achieve positive outcomes. Um, it's a wonderful team, and this wouldn't work without their commitment. Yeah. And do you see this being rolled out to other hospitals? In the near future? In ideally, I would love to see this model rolled out. Um, I do also believe that there has to be dedicated social workers within the emergency department that sit in the emergency department. Yeah. Tell us about the importance of the social worker and, and the role that they're playing. I mean, because you see, I mean, it's such a growing space and the importance of this is becoming critical. But I, I just want to hear it from you about the, the importance of this. Well, we know that um, health is affected by social issues, social stresses, emotional um, and their environment. Um, and that's our role. You know, so taking a holistic view to health is really important because if we address their stresses and their social situation, their health will improve. Mental health, everything will improve. So if we address some of those issues, we're actually improving their health. Yeah. And do you see what do you see the role of the future social worker? Do you see it becoming more and more paramount in the role that they're playing in conjunction or alongside the other mental health services? I think it's really important that we all work collaboratively yeah. and we work really well with the mental health team alongside them and I think that's what the way we need to work because it's getting to the stage where the demand is huge. Um, and we have to w think about how we all work together effectively. Uh, and we do that very well in our ED. Yeah, so the, the critical team in, your, in, this, uh, in this framework that you've established, obviously the, the doctors and nurses, social worker, uh, psychologist? Yes, mental health team. We have mental health nurses and psychologists. Um, we get referrals from them as well. Um, and we also flag if we got a concern about them at risk because of uh, self-harm. Yeah, well, that's really important too. Yeah. And tell me, ha do you know that this has been around? Has this a model that you've uh, that they've adopted from somewhere else or is it something that just... This is uh, basically a model we... Created. Created. Um, when I started in emergency at Flinders, there was no permanent or regular social work service, so I had a blank canvas. Um, the way I feel that any service should be established is to talk to the workers of what they need. 
um, I was walking into an environment that I hadn't worked before and I'm thinking, I'm going to ask everyone in this environment what they need from me. Yeah. So we also have a, a very unique approach that we have an open-door policy for staff. If we look after our staff, they're going to be much more effective as well. Self-care of staff is really important, isn't it? It's very important. Tell me Taking place on Friday the 10th of July, Mental Health Connect is our first ever online expo designed for mental health professionals. This is a space to connect, collaborate and discover the latest tools, treatments and services available to themselves and their clients. Find out more, go to www.anzmh.asn.au or contact us on 07 that you're or that the team are doing in order to take care of themselves? We have debriefing sessions, uh, but we can also, people can just walk in and um, offload if they're having a bad day or they just need five minutes out, they can actually come in and offload. We also know that personal issues can affect them, so they have the opportunity to come in and talk about that and then we refer them on. So we support them through that process. Um, we know that workers are in domestic violence. Uh, we support them through that as well. Yeah. Well, it's it's amazing, uh, you know, what's what's happening there and the model that you've created. It's so good that you're out there sharing this and, and for others to hopefully take it up and, and roll out. Is that what you would really like to see? I would love to see this model rolled out because it's very effective um, and we are very much part of the management team and the ED. So we've sort of got a really good insight around what's going on in the ED. Um, staff come to me, I say to them, tell me where the gap is and let's then work out how we address that. Um, so it's very interactive with all staff members. Anyone, yeah. uh, volunteers, PSAs, anyone can come and say, Deb, I think you know this might work. I want to hear from the team what is missing. The best way to improve a service is to find where the gaps are. Yeah. Okay. Um, the director, as I said, this would not work without the support of the team and the director. Um, and it's been an amazing journey for me. I've been allowed to be very creative in my position because of the support I've got from the ED. Yes. And other than going around to conferences and sharing your story and the model with what you are doing, which is amazing, how, how else are you able to influence you know, the, this change in other ED departments around Australia? I'm not sure. I'm still, yeah. you know, basically my primary goal has been to actually build the awareness of domestic violence and how we can address it in the ED. And we actually... Um, design the resources around a, a rapid response, easy process. Um, because in an ED, the expected turnaround is four hours. You have four hours to work it out and come up with a solution. Wow. It's very rapid. So, so everyone needs to be on their game, needs to be looking... Yes. Yeah, wow. Yeah. So you've got the patients that are being admitted, but basically our, we have four-hour targets. Um, our service is really focused on those that aren't going to be admitted, that they're linked to services, that they have support 
so that they actually aren't representing in your state. That's incredible. And the, and the pressure as well, because, I mean, it, obviously you're in situations that uh, can be very frantic, I would assume. so. They can, but I think all the staff in ED are under that and it's a, it's a very demanding place, but it's, that's where the teamwork is so important. And um, basically, we all pull together. We all support each other. Yep. And that's a good model. And that's where teamwork comes into it. And it should be in every workplace. We all have our days and we all actually touch someone's heart. Um, the thing I tell my staff in ED, the one thing I actually want to let them know, um, people say to me, what change can I make to someone's life? Every one of us makes a change to someone's life. We've all met someone who's walked into our life for a few minutes and has actually changed how we view things. Just by being supportive and listening is already an intervention in itself and we all do that on a daily basis. It's incredible. There's so much power to what you... Like, it's so simple, but it's super effective. Teamwork and... Did you have any pushback initially when you were rolling this out? Because, uh, I mean, was obviously the outcome is, is really amazing with what can be possible, but were they like, well, we've got all these things we're trying to scream for as well, and you know, to fit another one in is, I mean, how we... Uh, I think, um, you know, initially the director there was Di King, um, and she was very supportive of it, and um, everyone in ED was frustrated, believe it or not. They would see the domestic violence situations coming in and they go, you know, we know they're going to go back out into it. How do we do it better? Yeah. So, uh, you know, this was identified as an issue and we come up with a strategy that we work in our ED. So it's around listening to the team and saying, hey, let's see how we can address this better. Yeah, because the current situation is yeah. not working yeah. and... And it's great that they actually took the initiative and, and thought, well, hang on, there's something we can do about this and created that program. Um, initially, uh, occasionally you'd get comments from um, staff is, why don't they leave? Because they didn't understand it. When we actually did the education and explained the multi-layered, yeah. um, some of the strongest advocates for women in our department are the men now. So wow. there's been a major shift in... Yes, it's hard to get out of. Because they're seeing that firsthand. Yes. And they understand that it's not that easy to get out of. It's it's multi-layered. Yeah. Well, it's it's incredible, again, the program that you're doing and, and, and the results you're having. Uh, I know there was one part there I read that in three-month period following the introduction of the program, the rate of referral to social work increased 213%. That's right. Staggering. It is staggering and we have a constant amount. It's going up every year. So um, it does work. And that's only in the emergency department, by the way. It's not the whole hospital. Uh, when we did the benchmark, we did a benchmark with the whole hospital. Um, and we have uh, – it's a large hospital. Um, so what I'm talking about is the referrals to us is only in the ED. That's 139 referrals this year to date directly from nurses and doctors in the ED. It's not from anywhere else. Wow. And it just makes you wonder what was going on 
before this was rolled out or what is happening in other hospitals, an opportunity to identify and, and potentially intervene to help. To make a difference. Yeah. Um, to maybe save someone's life. And that's the reality. We have to save people's lives. We know that. Yeah. Um, one patient we saw many years ago, horrible assault. Um, she left the uh, relationship. She rang me three weeks later and she said, can you give the staff a message? And I said, what's that? She said, tell them they're all angels because mm. they didn't judge me. They supported me. Oh, that's incredible. Okay. Um, and I thought that was an amazing thing to hear and it doesn't take that much to actually show empathy and understanding and support. Well, it seems so simple, but uh, like you said, it's so effective. Thank you. And, and hearing stories like that, I mean, that must just keep driving the team and knowing that you're on, uh, you know, you're doing something amazing. Look, uh, I'm very touched by the people I look after um, and I've had some amazing things happen uh, where people have come back in and thank me and um, it brings a tear to my eye because yeah. I can see they've changed their life, they've turned it around um, and they're no longer in that situation and that takes courage. Well, it takes leadership to implement such a thing and and, uh, and what a great collaboration it's been at that, at that ED department for you, for you to all work together to create this outcome where you're identifying and potentially, well, you are saving lives but intervening as well to try and uh, reduce the impact and the effects and the imp of domestic violence. So it's incredible to actually hear and read about what you're up to. Thank you. And, and I think it's it's really the potential of this is enormous with the impact this could possibly have across the country. I think, you know, health plays a huge role. Um, we know that 54% uh, don't ever report it um, or s and 24% don't um, seek supports. So if we ask the questions, we're showing we care and that we're interested. And people will talk to you if you ask. And that can be done anywhere too. It can. Um, so moving forward, Debbie, as we look to the future, what do you? What does the future hold for you? Look, it's it's like a box of chocolates for me. I'm not sure. Um, I will keep plugging away at my passion um, because no one should live in fear and no one should ever live in a violent relationship. Um, I'm passionate about making a change there, so I'll keep plugging away at building awareness and trying to improve how we deliver our service within our ED and hopefully someone else will actually say, hey, that's a good model and roll it out elsewhere. Yeah, well, I think doing these sorts of things is a great way to try and get the word out there and, and encouraging more hospitals and EDs to take this on board and consider having a look at this. Uh, it's clearly working. Um, and uh, I guess, you know, um, going overseas, I actually, and the interest that was, um, I actually had from all places I've been to shows that it's a worldwide issue and everyone's actually in a same situation. How do we address this huge issue in our society? Um, change in society doesn't happen overnight. It's continuing to keep plugging away perseverance um it will change 
but it takes a lot of effort. Yeah. It takes teamwork. It takes people behind that, yes. though, that are actually, uh, you know, willing to do this and, and try and make a big difference. And clearly that's what you and the team are doing. Thank you. You are clearly driven. Your commitment uh, to helping people uh, who are experiencing suffering possibly from domestic violence or family violence is is one to be rec recognised and, and commended on. So we need uh, more people out there like you. And Thank you. And the role that social workers play, uh, and the, I mean, it's inc they're such incredible people and the, the whole industry is really, the sector, sorry, is really um, progressing and so playing such an important role in the future with the collaboration and the integration with other services. It is, and I guess we're fortunate enough not to be in it, but anyone can be in a domestic violence situation. Um, and I always like to think how lucky I am to have what I have in my life because there's a lot of people out there struggling. Certainly, certainly the case, and uh, unfortunately that's the case. Um, yes. And But to, to, have, to know there's superheroes out there like, uh, you know, you and the team at, at, uh, in Adelaide that are doing this sort of stuff and, and even people out in the field that are doing it in other places that they can also intervene or recognise or identify potential family violence uh, incidents, it's its amazing. There's under-resourced, but doing what we can. Look, I think today at the conference has been wonderful uh, to meet so many like-minded people and to see um, so many different initiatives out there um, and the dedication of these people is amazing. I 100% agree, and that's <laughs> the beauty of having these conferences. You know, you get to see people firsthand and talk to them and and understand their frustrations, what's going on out there, but also some of the wins that they're having because that's, I mean, w despite, you know, all the the statistics and, and they're not improving, but, you know, there are some really good stories out there and, and there's some great things happening. Yeah, and I think what we've got to remember is that, um, you know, if we have one, even one win, we've achieved everything. Um, you know, as I said... Things don't happen quickly. Change takes time. Yeah. But if we change one person's life, we've achieved so much. Well, well, it couldn't be a true word spoken, and I agree with that. And uh, Debbie, you're an inspiration. And again, thank you for coming on the show and talking to me. I appreciate your time, and the listeners, I'm sure, will get value from that. And uh, spread the word. And if they can, uh, if anyone wants to get hold of you, Debbie, and what you're up to, how would they touch base with you? That would be through my email at my work, it's Debbie McCarthy at sa.gov.au. Perfect. Well, there you go. Get in touch with Debbie if you want to know more about what she's up to and the, and the great work that the team are doing uh, down there in Adelaide. So keep it up and thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Is there someone working in mental health who you'd like to be featured on the podcast? Are there more questions you want the answers to? Let us know what you want to hear. Get in touch with us by emailing any podcast suggestions to membership at anzmh.asn.au and be sure to stay up to date on our socials at ANZMHA on Facebook, Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to sharing our next conversation.